Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hello, friends. I'm your host, Chris Thrill. I'm a former Royal Marines commando. I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. We were attacked uh, by aircraft. And actually, well, let's put this into context. Um, when we completed the OMP and we got up into the mountains, a place called Mount Kent, we were on the what's called the reverse slope, i.e. The, the side opposite to where the enemy is, uh, in dead ground, we, we stopped. And uh, there was a huge resupply there. I don't know how the RSM had managed to do this, but he got ahead of the unit. And I remember him stood on top of it, Pat Chapman with his SLR guarding it and issuing stuff out as we filed past. We went into defense. We didn't dig trenches because the ground was impossible. It was all rock. So you kind of built sangers or, or got into nooks and crannies. It, you know, it wasn't the conventional thing. Uh, adapt, of course, as you always do. Um, we had one night there where we got bombed by something. Uh, we, I believe a big bomb was chopped off the back of a Hercules, which was a near miss, funny enough. Uh, and the following night, I was told, right, you're going forward and you're going to set up in, independently uh, you know, to, to harass the enemy. Cause casualties and harass the enemy. That was the generic mission. Mm. Um, it took 16 hours to move 4,000 meters. We had a proper uh, um, Antarctic gale right on the nose, perfect cover for what we're doing. And on the way to this position I was looking for in the dark, which was just a spot on the map, uh, we came across the position that the Argies had abandoned when the BBC World Service you know, warned them off that we were about to attack through screens. They left all their kit behind, which was a great prop for us. We got lots of onions and tins of corned beef and stuff like that. And we also found um, some operational overlays, which basically solved the war's problems with intelligence. That was a huge coup for which Corporal Hannah, who found that, never got any recognition. But anyway, we, we struggled to this place overnight and we set up uh, a base in the middle of nowhere in the rocks. We had to keep um, you know, uh, below ground, as it were, uh, during the daytime. But we had 16 hours of darkness uh, but, you know, moving into the austral winter. Uh, to, to, to uh, Andy, could you speak up a bit? I don't know why we've lost a bit of volume. I'm, I'm just conscious of the people that will be listening on iTunes will be. Sure, mate. Yeah, I'll speak a bit louder. How's that? That's, that better? that's much better. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, perhaps I'm falling asleep. <laughs> well, I have heard this story before, you see. <laughs> uh, not that I'm bored. No. Um, anyway, cut the, stop waffling. Let's get on with it. Um, so uh, there I was in this forward operating base in no man's land, well forward of the unit, 4,000 meters in front, uh, with three power on my left flank, 4-2 commando, a long way off on the right flank, and, and just the enemy. Uh, to, to cause the casualties, we just brought down fire missions. And it was a bizarre observation that once you dropped a fire mission, the enemy would go up and inspect the craters. I mean, you just repeat. It was unbelievable. You know, I couldn't believe these people were so basic. Um, by this time, of course, with you know, everything that had been going on beforehand, we'd lo we lost any kind of sympathy for the enemy. So there was, there was no emotional connection with what we were doing. Let's put it that way. I think it's fair to say we were probably sort of two-dimensional focused on the job, and that's it. Um, by the way, I never take anything to war with me. No photographs or nothing. You know, I, I don't have any mementos from home. 
home stays at home and war's war and you don't mix the two sort of thing. During the night, we were doing these long recce patrols. That was our primary function, was to find out what was actually there. And it took a while because of the, the minefield threat. You know, that was a, another mine-concentrating experience uh, with, with no detectors of any sort. And the Argies didn't mark their mines, so we had no idea where they were or what they had. Um, all, the only information we had came from Jane's, of course, you know, the, the publication that deals with all the world's armed forces. Um, but personal knowledge, very little. So, um, and also information wasn't filtering down from what had been learned at Goose Green at this point. It never, never reached us. So we didn't learn any lessons from, you know, what was currently there. However, at the end of that time, um, I was told, right, you're now going to conduct a fighting patrol onto the objective, which is this mountain called Two Sisters. And your mission is to find their mortar positions and to destroy them. Now, this is a boy's own task. This is exactly what you train for. This is what you've hoped for. Uh, but I don't want to give the impression that I was sort of leaping around for joy. It was actually a very sobering thing to be told because uh, the risk for it was very high. Uh, there was a strong possibility that um, some of us weren't going to make it. And up to this point, uh, you know, we'd more, apart from losing the radio operator through wrecking his ankles, we, we, we'd been very lucky. Uh, a normal battle procedure took place, uh, full battle procedure. I've never cut any corners with this. Even in Ireland, where you did repetitive patrols for six months, every single time went through the whole thing, the proper orders process. And, and, and this, of course, was an, the, the greatest challenge I'd ever faced. And I had the biggest command I'd ever had, not just in terms of people. I was 42 because I had four engineers attached to me uh, whose function was to destroy their mortars. Um, I had a section four guys from Recce Troop who were going to aid us by you know, acting as scouts. Um, I had a mortar fire controller controlling a section of our own mortars. And I also had a mortar uh, forward observation officer who was controlling the entire gun line of 2-9 commando. So I had a pretty awesome firepower. Um, I felt confident, but the risks, as I say, were very high. The, my biggest fear was getting caught out on the extraction phase, which we had to extract by the same route in, which is normally a no-no, but we didn't have the, the, you know, the, the flexibility to do anything other than that, that. And I could see us getting caught, perhaps in a minefield in daylight between two enemy positions with no Kazavak, because there was no Kazavak compared to what we're used to today. Um, that was my greatest fear. Anyway, it didn't happen. We did the full battle procedure, which included night rehearsals, although did the night rehearsals slightly early before it got actually dark because I wanted to maximize on the darkness as much as possible. And just before we left, uh, a gazelle helicopter flew up to my location, which was an absolute no-no because he's basically compromised us. But he didn't stop. He just went to the hover and he handed me a piece of paper, literally stuck his hand out the window and vanished. And it came straight from our int and it said, beware of a thing called 601 commando that's uh, in the area. Uh, carry on with the mission, don't cut the phone lines to Stanley. And because we were going so far beyond the range of everything, um, this section of mortar troop, our own mortar troop, Corps Sign 56 Bravo, had been sent forward to give us support. And just before it got dark, I actually saw them moving a couple hundred meters away towards their position, the intended position. So I knew that they were in the area. Uh, it got dark and we set off. Uh, and more or less straight away, I had to go to the front uh, where the lead scout was and tell him to speed up. He was going too slow. You know, the, the one old adage is always take your risks early when you're doing this kind of thing. And we knew the ground anyway. He was naturally cautious, but we, we, we didn't have the time. So he speeded up a bit. About one hour later, we got to the first RV, RV1, which was the end of a stone run. But before we actually stopped and went into the, the procedure for the RV, we actually halted suddenly and everybody got down. Uh, it was pitch dark. 
couldn't see my hand in front of my face. Uh, we had a full moon. It was it was um, on the rise all the way through that week. But on this particular night, a total cloud cover, couldn't see anything. Uh, and we had none of us except for the recce troop scout had um, a night sight. So it was just the Mark One eyeball. Anyway, so this guy sent the message, you know, um, boss on me sort of thing. I crawled up to the front and he handed over his weapon. I looked through his sight and now I could see this blob. I wasn't sure what it was. And uh, it, because the old first generation night sights were very basic, uh, they relied on ambient light, starlight, and we had none. So without that, virtually useless. But he had seen something. And as I watched this blob, I saw it seeing it moving. And I realized it was a group of people. And then suddenly a light came on and that confirmed it. So uh, the, the, the next few minutes at the most, possibly seconds, were very, very fast. Um, I then sent out through the various channels to the section commanders, prepare for an ambush. This is a hasty ambush. Um, through zero, go back to our CP command post, check that there's nobody out from three para who are on our left flank. The, the, the inter-unit boundary, there was nothing on the ground. It was just a, a line on the map, very, very dangerous. Um, check the guns are ready. They're unmasked if we need them, which we probably will. And also, where's that mortar section? You know, are they ready to support us as well? So while all this was going on, I was still looking through this night site and I could see this group starting to break up and they were starting to move and they were starting to move towards us. So now the, the, the speed was moving very, very fast or maybe it's frozen. I can't, you know, it's a long time ago, but your memory is very selective of certain things. It's interesting how there are gaps, but anyway, I clearly remember seeing them coming towards us. And by now we'd all shuffled around to cover the arcs of this, what was now a hasty ambush. Uh, we had rehearsed this, I think, if I remember rightly. So, you know, we, there was no orders required. It was all hand signals. And the drill was when the last man of this force is within the arc, the recce um, scout will tap me on the shoulder and that will tell me he's there and I'll initiate by firing a shimuli. Um, what became obvious was that they weren't on a sort of reciprocal parallel bearing because one of the thoughts that ran through my mind is let them go, let somebody else deal with this. This is not our task. Um, but that was quickly squashed by the other side, the dark side, if you like. And I thought, no, these are the bastards that have caused all this. We're going to kill them. And But that decision wasn't even a 50-50 because it was very clear that they were actually on a converging bearing. They, they were going to step on the rear of us. The front man was suddenly going to discover us and the element of surprise would be lost. So there was no option here. That was fortunate. As they were moving in front, I could start to hear movement. I could hear their waterproofs, frankly. Swish, swish, swish. Bits of kick clicking and things like this. And through the site, I couldn't identify anything. All I could just see was vague figures. Um, then I got the tap on the shoulder. I fired the shimuli. As soon as I fired it, I knew I'd done the wrong thing because the drill, as you probably remember, Chris, is that um, if the light goes up very close, you hit the deck instantly. If it goes up at a distance, you freeze and you just go down with the shadows. And I, in that sort of two second pause between firing this thing and it popping, I just expected everybody to vanish. Well, when it popped, of course, it, it didn't happen. There were 21 figure 11 targets frozen directly in front of us. The shock effect was so, they must have all been, what the hell was that? And that was it. And down it went. Uh, we, I kept putting the light up, um, the feeling of relief, having done the hardest thing in my life, pulling that trigger in cold blood. Uh, the great fear that this was the point section of a commando attack. There could be 650 enemy right here that I can't see. We're about to get rolled up. All this kind of stuff going through your mind and it flashes through in seconds from one end of the spectrum to the other. 
it's incredible how brain the brain runs so fast which is why there's sometimes confusion afterwards mm. um and then a kind of feeling of elation i could hear the screaming we'd obviously hit targets and that incidentally from a ptsd point of view is why i could never cope with my daughter's crying because it's the same sound and um and then i ran out of light and it went dark and all the firing stopped and in that sudden horrible silence i heard a british voice shout stop firing with five six bravo and that's when i realized this wasn't the enemy at all this was our own mortar section we just ambushed and that was the moment when my life changed you know the before and after bit there's two distinct halves to my life and and that was the exact moment and that was about 12 12 30 on the 10th i think it was of june uh, 1982 um it took the rest of the night to sort out we'd killed four and very seriously injured three more um i was ordered to carry on with the mission i disobeyed that order and practically because there wasn't enough light left or darkness rather we would never have achieved it uh but the main reason was i wasn't up for it the troop would have obeyed orders obviously if i would said we're going there would have been some grunting and muttering i'm sure but we would have cracked on but um i couldn't do it so we went back to the harbor and uh i said to my troop sergeant i don't want anybody on sentry tonight i don't want anybody sitting here fiddling with the triggers thinking about what's just happened um and i turned in i'm sure he did the right thing whatever that was i've got no idea but probably just ignored me that and short while after very short while after a helicopter arrived as as we stood down and took me back to commando hq for a debrief um all i met was sympathy uh there was massive understanding we'd um unfortunately done the job very professionally and unfortunately um our victims had made some mistakes they basically got lost or they'd rather overshot to be precise they weren't totally lost but they weren't exactly where they should have been and in that kind of situation, um, that is not the time to sort of mislead people. When, when asked were they on high ground, the answer was yes. In fact, we were all on low ground. I think they were fudging it. Uh, and they were moving fast in front of me because the realization had sunk in that we need them and they need to get to their intended position, uh, which unfortunately they'd overshot, uh, which is why they were coming from the wrong direction. So it's so easy to misread situations. And in moments like that, when you've literally got seconds to make decisions, you know, it's, it's impossible. And a blue on blue is something that happens in every single conflict. And, and all of them have those kind of elements in them somewhere, you know, one little thing leads to something bigger and so on a chain of events that suddenly you're out of, you know, that you're no longer controlling. And that situation, I was definitely out of control. Once we'd initiated, that was it. So um, anyway, uh, the debrief lasted about 15 minutes, if that. There was a lot of hugging and a few tears. And then uh, the CEO said, right, well, get back short. Uh, the big days arrived. Tonight we're going to attack. You know, you'll be getting your orders. Stand by for that. And that was it. And that was the very last thing ever, anything was ever said about that particular event. Uh, I went back to the group and we carried on. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username Chris Thrall. Instagram Chris Thank you. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. 
A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.